If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate you being with us. <clears throat> At 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock as we get underway on this Thursday, it's the 23rd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. That's a lot of threes in there today. And we've got three guests, how about that, lined up for the program today that I think you are going to be interested in. Coming up, interested in, and by the way, all of them in the back half of the show, starting top of the next hour at 1010. We're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, as we always do, uh, continuing to battle in the culture wars. Dr. Piper at 1010. And uh, at 1035, I'm very much looking forward to a conversation with Brandon Showalter. This is actually one that um, uh, we've been working on for a few days now, uh, to be truthful, because uh, it's an ongoing issue that we will explain when we get a little closer. That's going to be at 1035. Josh Hammer of Newsweek is going to be back with us. This will be about the third or fourth visit we've had from Josh Hammer as well on a few issues of the day. So we have a lot to get into today with some terrific guests about a variety of topics, and that's a good thing. We've got, you know... We've we got about four or five shows worth of stuff to try to cram into one show. It's hard to do when we do get kind of um, bogged down isn't the right word, but we do go a little bit deeper in one, into one or two topics, and sometimes some of the others go by the wayside. So having these guests on will force us to talk about all of the issues that matter the most to us. So we've got uh, Piper, and we've got uh, Showalter, and we've got Hammer going to be on the program today. And, of course, all of that, as I say, back half, that means the first hour is all yours. So I certainly welcome you at 216 or 888 
either one of those numbers will bring you to the same place, and that place is up and on the radio so that we can talk about the most important news of the day together. Now, before I forget our Pledge of Allegiance, and yesterday we had to squeeze in that, I think it was, right before the bottom of the hour news, or maybe that was Tuesday. It starts to run together somewhat. But let's get it now. Let's do it while we're thinking about it. Patriots, go ahead and stand if you are in a position to do so. If you're driving, don't try. I've I've tried that before. It doesn't work, even if you're in a truck. It's very, very hard to do. You don't have to stand. You can just put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in setting up political rivals because you don't think you can beat them and using malicious prosecution against them, well, then you don't have any idea what liberty is or what that flag stands for. So, therefore, you are exempted from the request to stand and pledge pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee where you're more comfortable over there next to the uh, your favorite unemployed quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so uh, a lot of ground to cover today, as noted, and I'm going to start with that that little tease that I did in, it did before the pledge. We may have our smoking gun. We may have an end to the Alvin Bragg persecution by way of prosecution of President Donald J. Trump, the presumed front-runner and uh, favorite to win the nomination for the Republican Party in the upcoming presidential primary. When I say upcoming, obviously it's a bit away, but uh, he, is a, he is a declared candidate, as are two others on the Republican side, so here we go. Um, we knew from the beginning and all week long as we've covered this ridiculous story of the Manhattan left-wing George Soros prosecutor trying to uh, bring up Donald Trump on charges that he uh, violated campaign finance law by uh, paying back uh, or paying a, a Stormy Daniels or paying back Michael Cohen to pay Stormy Daniels to be quiet about an alleged affair prior to the 2020 2016 election. You know the story by now. I won't re- recount it all. But what I will tell you is that we said, and I think everybody who has been observing this and analyzing this and paying attention to this said, that Bragg was in trouble if his star witness was going to be Michael Cohen. Because we've sat here and we have listed just the litany of of things that make him completely non-serious, completely uncredible, not incredible, but non-credible, um, the imprisoned and convicted liar that he is. So if this is your star witness, just for general general purposes, uh, this is over. Come on. I mean, seriously, what what grand jury, Manhattan left-wing jurors or otherwise, would possibly use this guy uh, and the word of uh, uh, you know a, a porn star to to try without evidence to try to uh, bring an indictment on something? I mean, Cy Vance. We talked about this before. Cyrus Vance is the former Manhattan DA. He looked at all of the evidence. He looked at the quote-unquote witness, Michael Cohen, and said, "No, we're not bringing charges." Makes no sense whatsoever to bring charges on something like this because there's no way there's no way we're going to be able to get a conviction. So they didn't even bother. Alvin Bragg, by the way, same thing. Alvin Bragg on his way in declined to pursue this, but then suddenly Donald Trump declares himself a candidate for president, and now boom, Alvin Bragg is saying we've got to prosecute this. There is so much 
political manipulation going on here right now, it's, it's really, really hard to fathom. Uh, but we have to talk about this, and we have to try to break this down as much as we can. So let's just start with the fact that we now have what could be that smoking gun. A letter dated February 8th, 2018, uh, from uh, uh, Stephen Ryan, counsel for Michael Cohen. This bombshell document from Cohen's lawyer to the FEC, that's the Federal Elections Commission, declares that Michael Cohen used his own personal funds to pay Stormy Daniels $130,000, and that the Trump campaign never was party to that transaction, and that the Trump campaign did not reimburse Michael Cohen for that payment. Therefore, the man in charge of the Trump campaign, that being Trump himself, the actual candidate in question, and the actual party in the allegation that there was a you know a sexual affair and, and, and a payoff and so forth, that means he is absolutely 100% in the clear of anything that is being alleged. Dear Mr. Jordan, this is not Jim Jordan, by the way, this is the FEC commission. Dear Mr. Jordan, I am writing on behalf of my client, Michael D. Cohen, in response to your letter dated January 30, 2018. Specifically, this letter responds to the complaint, which was filed with the FEC by Common Cause and Paul S. Ryan. In a private transaction in 2016, before the U.S. presidential election, Mr. Cohen used his own personal funds. I'm saying that with emphasis for a good reason. Not Donald Trump's funds. His own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Ms. Stephanie Clifford. That's her real name. Neither the Trump organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction with Ms. Clifford, and neither reimbursed Mr. Cohen for the payment, either directly or indirectly. And that, my friends, should be the ballgame. That is the smoking gun document that should end all of this nonsense so we can get back to the business of an actual presidential campaign where a candidate isn't being prosecuted by the opposition for phony, bogus, ridiculously specious charges. That should be the end of this story. The letter does continue, contrary to the allegations in the complaint, which are entirely speculative, neither Mr. Cohen nor Essential Consultants, LLC, made any in-kind contributions to Donald J. Trump for president uh, or any other presidential campaign committee. Mr. Cohen has not been a government employee during any of the relevant time period. The payment in question does not constitute a campaign contribution or expenditure, and therefore the FEC lacks jurisdiction over this matter. The complainants have have not and cannot present any evidence to the contrary. Accordingly, the complaint should be dismissed. Please contact me at your release convenience, yada, yada, yada. Stephen M. Ryan, counsel for Michael Cohen. So there it is. I mean, like I said, if there's any justice left in the justice system, and that, of course, is not necessarily <laughs> a given, but if there's any justice left here, Alvin Bragg will immediately dismiss or or uh, withdraw any complaint that is being made to the grand jury for consideration of an indictment. He will withdraw that immediately. And Alvin Bragg then will be facing charges. Uh, and I know that sounds kind of crazy, like we're, we're asking for a little bit too much here. 
Not so much. Newsmax reporter Benny Johnson uh, laid it out this way. If you're not following the case closely, here's the thumbnail sketch. This is the equivalent of discovering a murder weapon at the scene of the crime with DNA on it. Convicted perjurer Michael Cohen completely discredited. And Soros DA Alvin Bragg will be disbarred and face prison time if he knew this. And that is a big if, of course. We don't know how this is going to turn out in terms of Alvin Bragg. But if it can be proven that he knew about this letter and he knew that Michael Cohen had specifically declared that he and he alone was paying Stormy Daniels $130,000 out of his personal funds for one reason or another. By the way, this doesn't completely clear up whether or not Trump had an affair with her. In all likelihood, he did. He was never exactly a you know a faithful kind of a husband guy. He's a philanderer. He liked women, uh, you know. And if he broke his marriage vows, that's between him and his wife. And and you know, if you have a a moral conviction about whether or not you support somebody based on that, that's that's up to you. But from a legal standpoint, even if there was an affair, as long as neither Trump nor the Trump campaign contributed funds to try to cover up said affair, we have no case whatsoever so it just turns out to be another attempt to destroy this guy that they call orange man bad um with another lousy pathetic you know effort quite frankly i mean let's look at this how many times have the democrats said we're going to get him we're going to get him we're going to stop him from running for president we're going to stop him from being president how many times russia gate Right out of the gate, they did Russia Gate to try to stop him. They actually got that phony uh, warrant, that bogus warrant from the FISA court to spy on the Trump campaign in 2015, 2016, and then to actually continue spying on the president of the United States after he won. Then we had impeachment one, fail. Then we had bounty gate, fail. Then we had impeachment two fail we're going to get him this time the Mueller investigation fail well then the january 6th select committee will get him fail the mar-a-lago raid on documents fail now the indictment on the stormy daniels payoff and here we are if this letter is the smoking gun that most legal analysts and observers think that it is once again Break out the big red rubber stamp, F-A-I-L, and smack it down on this indictment. Fail. How many times are they going to go out there and overreach? How many times are they going to go out there and write fiction in order to stop a guy? If If he's so pathetic, if he's so bad, if he's so non serious then then for God's sake, why don't you just go campaign against him and his policies? Why don't you just put up somebody there who can beat him on a policy matter, on a platform matter, on an experience matter, on a results matter? Why don't you find something that actually the people care about if you want to take this guy out? Just defeat him. Why must you use all of these illegal tricks, all of these these wild rabbit attempts to take a guy down so that you don't have to try to beat him. Is it because you don't have policies that can match up to his? 
Is it because your radical extremist Marxist ideas are exposed when held up against the light of day and placed next to an America first agenda? A make America great agenda? Is that what you're saying? Otherwise, there's no reason whatsoever for this to continue in such such a way. It is constantly some legal maneuver or some sort of political persecution that they're using to try to stop Donald Trump. If you hate him so much, beat him. Just beat him. Stop trying all of the, the chicanery. Stop all of the nonsense. Just beat him if you think you are so much superior to him. Beat him if you can. Because you notice that's what Republican candidates are doing in the primary that's coming. They're not trying to trash him. They're not trying to to bring these ridiculous cases against him. They're just saying, I can do it better than he can. That's what Vivek uh, Ramaswamy is doing. That's what Ron DeSantis is doing. That's what uh, uh, Nikki Haley is doing. That's what Tim, Tim Scott is eventually going to be doing. That's what Mike Pence is eventually going to be doing. The politics of personal destruction are simply a Democrat um, method of operation. The politics of personal destruction literally live on the Democrat side of the aisle. That's not to say Republicans won't criticize each other. And, of course, when it comes to Trump, all of that is out the window because he will continually criticize everybody that he's running against. He will try to use the same politics of personal destruction the Democrats use. But the rest of the, Dem- rest of the Republican field won't until they get sick and tired of it, and eventually they may fire back at Trump. But he is the exception, not the rule. The bottom line is, though, they're going to have to beat him on policy. They're going to have to beat him on ideas. Democrats know they can't beat him on ideas. Quite frankly, Democrats know they can't beat any of the candidates in the Republican field on ideas, which is why they use these ridiculous legal maneuvers, these political persecution-slash-prosecution maneuvers. They know. They can't beat him on those things, so they have to find ways to make him not eligible for the race at all. And that's what every single one of the things that I just listed down for you were. Every single one of them were intent upon stopping him from either being the president once he had already run, or or one, I should say, or becoming president again. Russiagate impeachment one, Bountygate impeachment two, Mueller investigation, January 6th, Mar-a-Lago raid, and this ridiculous indictment all intended to make sure they don't have to beat him because he's not going to be allowed to be on the ballot. That's what their intent was. 926, we're just getting started. I'm not going to spend the entire show on that because I think the smoking gun is there. It's there for all to see. This should be dismissed post-haste. But we have a lot of uh, other ground to cover, and we'll do it on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Joe Tacopina is uh, former President Trump's attorney, or one of his attorneys, and uh, he appeared on Hannity last night to say this. Again, this, the grand jury proceeding is the DA's proceeding. It's not a, a joint proceeding. It's something that they use as a mechanism to bring a charge. Um, it's a formality for the most part. Um, but, but we don't know what's going on. But I can tell you there ap- appears to be chaos in that office right now, as there should be, mm-hmm. because the Manhattan District Attorney's Office was once the pinnacle of prosecutors' office in this country. Um, you know, now it's it's something that's being used as a political tool. And, and when I see the justice system and a prosecutor's office being used to weaponize um, the justice system against an individual, it makes me sick to my stomach. As a former prosecutor, I could never have imagined this. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, keywords in that entire soundbite there. Weaponizing the the justice system against an individual and DA's office in chaos. He's exactly right on both counts. We got more coming up. 
giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always Right Radio with Bob France and The Answer. Onward we roll. It's 936. Thanks for being with us. If you've got thoughts on the latest developments in the Alvin Bragg political persecution of the frontrunner of your party's uh, opponent uh, primary, which is what Donald Trump is, I think that we hit that pretty hard yesterday, and I don't think it's something we can uh, state quite enough to be truthful. It's not about the fact that he's a former president. A president, which, by the way, does set a precedent... Uh, because it is unprecedented to try to indict somebody on something like this. But it's the fact that he's a declared candidate, and that was the difference. Bragg himself had not been uh, committed to pushing forward with any kind of a an indictment or a presentation before a grand jury to do so until he announced his candidacy, did Trump, for the for the uh, White House again, and suddenly now we got to go get him. So it's just so embarrassing what they have tried to accomplish here. Uh, I welcome your thoughts, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. I want to get into something else this morning, too, because we have not yet really discussed this um, in, in enough depth. <clears throat> I brought it up um, in a story, did a story, a segment or two on this last week, I think it was. But there's a new development in the story of Scott Adams. You remember Scott Adams, right? Scott Adams is the uh, cartoonist uh, who is famous for Dilbert and uh, has been for decades, really a couple of decades, uh, you know, uh, one, of, one of the most influential, I guess, if you will, cartoonists. Um, in, in the country, if not the world. Dilbert was massively popular and successful. I never got it, by the way. I never really enjoyed it. Um, Adams is a bit of a political... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's kind of, kind of a political chameleon. Sometimes he says, comments, writes, or tweets things that would give you the indication that he's something of a conservative. Other times, he writes and creates and and speaks, and he literally has declared himself to the left of Bernie Sanders. So he's a bit of a political chameleon. He can kind of change and go with, with, with a given moment, I suppose. But at any rate, he killed his own career. He killed his own career when he did a podcast, and he went into a big, long podcast rant about how well, quite frankly, that whites should just get the heck away, he didn't say heck, away from black people, because black people are dangerous. Black people are um, essentially a hate group because of what Black Lives Matter became. It has turned uh, uh, you know, the, the, the entire African-American population, if you will, into something that is akin to a hate group. Now, I believe he was saying a lot of he, what, what he did say, um, tongue-in-cheek. I, I believe he was trying to conduct a bit of an experiment, but it was something he was willing to do that would cause him to lose 80% of his income. According to reports, his cartoon has been pulled from newspapers across the country, and he has lost about 80% of his income. They're canceling him like crazy. And, um, and he has become persona non grata. Uh, he had been reacting to a poll, a survey that asked whether people agree with the statement that it's okay to be white. And what a crazy thing to have to ask, by the way. This is a Rasmussen poll. What a crazy thing to have to ask. Is it okay to be white? Well, yeah, because it's 
human? Is it okay to be black? Yeah. Is it okay to be uh, Hispanic? Yeah. Is it okay to be any other ethnicity or race? Yeah, it is. It's okay. But the problem was that Adams responded to is that only 26% of African Americans, no, I beg your pardon, 26% said they disagreed and 21% said they weren't sure, making a total of 47% who did not know or did not think it was okay to be white, that being white is that, that bad. So that prompted Adams to go into this diatribe on this podcast in which he said, well, if nearly half of all blacks are not okay with white people, that's a hate group, and I don't want anything to do with a hate group. And based on how things are going, the best advice I could give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the blank away. Wherever you have to go, just get away, because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Now, like I said, I think he was doing a bit of a thought experiment here. He later defended himself saying the trick is just to use my quote and to ignore the context, which I helpfully added afterwards, adding that his two main points were treat all individuals as individuals, no discrimination, and avoid anything that statistically looks like a bad idea for you personally. So that's the background on Scott Adams. That's that's what he said in a nutshell. White people get the blank away from black people because it's ju- there's no fixing this. Uh, this this just cannot be fixed. It's a dangerous situation for you. Now I bring that up because, and this is again, this story is about two three weeks old, maybe maybe almost four. I don't know. The reason I bring it up is because there's a new development here, and the development is Robin D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo, if you don't know, is an author. Robin D'Angelo wrote a book called White Fragility, in which she essentially takes apart white people as being fragile and unable to uh, defend themselves, provide for themselves, and so on and so forth. They, they rely on their privilege, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's long, long and complex, but I don't want to get into it. But she wrote the book called White Fragility. She is far left. And she was speaking on a group chat when she declared she was a big believer in affinity space and affinity work. And she said, quote, I think people of color need to get away from white people. I think people of color need to get away from white people and have some community with each other. And so it's now it's it's a little bit confusing here. Scott Adams lost his career and eighty percent of his income for telling white people to get away from black people. Robin D'Angelo, noted race baiting left wing author, tells black people they need to get away from white people, and her career is prospering, flourishing, and it's it's incredible. Christopher Rufo tweeted about it, saying, It's amazing that for an entire year the Libs scrambled to find their moral voice and settled on Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo, who turned out to be the two or two of the greatest uh, nitwits of our time. Moreover, they're two of the worst racists of our time, and one of them is black, the other one is white. Robin D'Angelo is a noted anti-racist and a believer in Ibram X. Kendi's nonsense about anti-racism. Robin D'Angelo says 
people of color need to get away from white people and is celebrated for it. Scott Adams says white people need need to get away from black people and is canceled for it. Somebody make that make sense to me. I'm struggling. Somebody needs to make that make sense. Scott Adams replied to all of this himself, tweeting um, three days ago, every adult knows hate group is obvious hyperbole in this case, and so do you. Taking it literally comes off as a diversion from this point that the woke part of the world of all colors has a mindset that has been poisoned against white people and about against white men in particular. He's not wrong. There is no other demographic in our population that takes as much abuse and criticism and hate as white males, particularly straight white males. He's not wrong about that. But the point is, if you are so infuriated by the suggestion of segregation, pulling white people away, or white people pulling themselves away from people of color, the way Scott Adams suggested, if that idea of segregation is so hateful to you, then you kind of can't agree with Robin D'Angelo that that people of color need to pull themselves away from white people for their benefit. Segregation is segregation is segregation. Or is it? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm misreading this. What I do know is that segregation is already being practiced all over this country in, in institutions of higher learning the places where people go to advance themselves, the places where people go to learn more, the places where people go to become educated, are learning how to self-segregate. More and more universities are having separate graduations for black graduates and white graduates. One university, up in Michigan, a smaller school, Grand Valley State University, I believe it is, one university is taking that to an even higher level, not just a separate graduation, black graduations uh, from, from white graduations. No, 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 no. Up at Grand Valley, they're having five different graduations. Five. One graduation or commencement ceremony for people who are black. One separate graduation ceremony commencement for students who are Asian, a separate graduation ceremony for students who are Latinx. They're actually using that term, which, of course, has been completely derided as being uh, opposed by virtually all people of Latin origin. But they get their own commencement. A separate commencement for Native American students. And get this, a separate commencement altogether for LGBTQIA plus X and B and whatever, how many other different ridiculous uh, symbols and letters there are in that thing. Next month, the university will also then hold a general commencement ceremony for all students in those individual marginalized groups that wish to attend the bigger one as well. Notably absent from the five separate commencement uh, uh, ceremonies, Five different examples of segregation by race, ethnicity, or in this case also by sexual orientation or identity. Notably absent was 
the white graduation. Why no white graduation? The black graduation celebration encourages students to celebrate all that is representative of the black, African-American, and African tradition, heritage, culture, and legacy, it says, at Grand Valley State. The Native American graduation feast says something similar. Celebrate Native American culture at your own commencement ceremony. Where's the white graduation? Hmm? Curious, why isn't this university offering a whites-only graduation, commencement and celebration of white culture? Because white culture isn't allowed to exist. White culture isn't allowed to be celebrated, to be recognized, to even exist. If you're white, you will sit there in that large graduation commencement with every other race that chooses to come down and join you. No separate celebration for you. But if those people do want to come and join you, they will. And if they don't, they will have their own separate celebration because segregation is good, depending on who's doing the segregating. Columbia University, New York, Ivy League. They host graduation celebrations for affinity groups on campus as well, including the Lavender Commencement Ceremony for the LGBTQXYZ exclamation point hashtag ampersand question mark. They hold a separate black ceremony, a separate (laughs) low-income commencement, a Latinx commencement, and Native Community Commencement. Harvard hosting graduation celebrations for black students, Asian students, Latino students, and LGBTQ. This is incredible. Why is it that people can call for actual segregation and be celebrated? I thought the whole goal of this melting pot was unity. Isn't that what the whole mission of the United States was? Isn't that kind of why... You know, bring us your poor, your tired from huddle masses from all around the world. We are a nation of immigrants. We've always said that. Even those of us who want the southern border secured, we love immigrants because we all come from immigrants, just about all of us anyway. We all come from from immigrant ancestry, from around the world, where people come from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures, into the great melting pot of society that we are, and we all live together. And now it's the American left that says, no, we don't want to live together. We want to live apart from you people. We want to separate away from you people. But if you want to separate away from us back, you are racists. You are canceled. You can't be a separatist. Only we can be separatists. You can't be a segregationist. Only we can be segregationists. Somebody explain to me how that works. Somebody explain to me how Scott Adams is... Is, is done, his career is over, and Robin D'Angelo is on the rise for literally saying the exact same thing with reverse races. 216-901-0945. I'll be back.
955 now. Always Right Radio continues on AM 1420. The answer. Let's take a couple of calls here before the top of the hour. Akron is where we find Tanya on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning, Tanya. Hi. Good morning, Bob. Uh, the answer is that the uh, Caucasian demographic takes politeness over truth. Y'all rather be polite than be truthful. And nobody listens to Gilbert. I mean, I didn't. I knew about him. But you can say the same thing, and y'all are getting your heads cut off because you'd rather be polite than to stand up the truth. And long as that's, you're willing to do that in your churches and your education and on the job, all of these little demographics will cut you down one piece at a time. Well, you're right about that. The question, the question is, though, is why is that acceptable? Why is that acceptable? Because you're, it, it's, not, it's acceptable because you rather be, instead of standing up for Dilbert, you rather said, well, he shouldn't have said it that way. Um, you know, it's a better way to say it. And the reason why we're having the DeSantis-Trump fight is they both have good policies. One is just, one is just a little bit too hard. You know, the other one seems, you know, really nice. You like niceness. Niceness will have you servants to China before you you see your great grandchildren. Well, and you know, black, you're not you're not in, wrong. In the black in the black in the black elite have come to the same conversation. They have gotten to the black middle class. Oh, we we want to be nice. We want to just get along to go along. To get along, the go along gang always gets killed. You have to stand for something. And so, so what's the solution though, then, Tanya? If 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 niceness gets us killed, uh, proverbially, proverbially, then then what do we do? Do we do we just create a society of en- enemies, a society of meanness, a society of cold heartedness? No, niceness doesn't, you know, meanness and coldness is it, it, it doesn't have to be polar opposites. It means that you will say to people, no, I don't believe that. And how many, there have been for 40 years, black people wearing their, their African garb on their graduation thing. But now they want a whole graduation and you don't want to have white people there? Yeah. Come on. Take your kids out of these, I mean, take your kids out of these schools. You know, gay people have been flipping their hats with their great pride things on the top of it for years. But now we believe they need more. Why do they, why don't we ask questions? Why do you need more? Aren't you equal? Don't you have rights? But you can't have more rights than I have. The problem well, I'm having. Why that's the double standard. Can't? Yeah, no, that's. Have- that's the double standard, uh, but unfortunately, as we are finding out, and thank you for the call, Tanya, uh, uh, Rob, as Robin D'Angelo and Scott Adams <clears throat> are demonstrating, yes, one can have more rights than somebody else. Uh, it just depends on what they look like. That's the reality of the situation today. Uh, Chuck is in Cleveland next. Hi, Chuck. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Um, reverse discrimination is the same thing as discrimination. Sure it is. I don't care how you spell it. It's discrimination. And I believe it was the Bill of Rights that says you can't do that. It's illegal. Now, I'll give you a perfect example to this. I'll put a black person and a white person in a foxhole. I'll give them both a uniform, and I'll give them both a gun. 
okay? We fight together side by side. Sure. Because we're told to. That's your job. You know, why can't people just, I don't want to say go along to get along, but, you know, I was in the military. Well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Chuck, thanks for the call. I'm not quite sure where that was going with the foxhole thing. I mean, yeah, of course we all, you know, the one thing that should, if I'm going to be very superficial about this, you know, the black and the white don't matter if you're in the foxhole analogy. You're using the red, white, and blue does. We're on the same team. We're on the same side. So, of course, we're going to fight uh, together. We should also point out the fact that our blood, which is the only color that should matter, bleeds red, all of it, black or white on the outside. We're all the same on the inside. All of those things are factual, but we're not talking about fighting in a foxhole. We're talking about living together. We're talking about surviving uh, encounters with one another. And right now, um, there is a very, very definite discriminatory aspect that is that is that is running this country that is running this culture that is running the society and you're right it's not reverse discrimination it's just straight up discrimination and the people who are lighter complected are the ones who are suffering from it the people who are darker complected which is the only way you should look at it really uh are are benefiting from it and that's a problem it should be a problem for all of us dr everett piper is going to join me next on always right radio am 1420 the answer You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Thursday. It's the 23rd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Easter is coming fast. Wow. This Lenten season is really, really cruising by. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how we're, I don't know how, to be quite frank with you. I don't know how it is going this fast. Another Lenten Friday tomorrow. Got a very special show lined up for you tomorrow as well. And, uh, we get into this holy season. Obviously, we start to talk a little bit more about these things that are important to so many people of faith, particularly of the Catholic faith. Joining us now, as he does each and every Thursday to help us fight the culture war that we did not start but that we absolutely must win, is our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a past university president. He is a weekly columnist for the Washington Washington Times. He is a best-selling author. He is a county commissioner. He's a radio show host. He carries, he wears a lot of hats, rather, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Dr. Piper. How are you, sir? Good morning, Bob. Always good to be on your show. Thanks. Always a pleasure to have you. So, Dr. Piper, I want to start, um, we always have two or three things that we want to talk about with one another, and one of them is always your column, but I want to start with the story of Arizona Christian University students, if I may, because this is just one of these situations that is so egregious. The attack on religious liberty in this country uh, is, 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 it's endless. It's, it's ceaseless. Um, I'll, I'll quote just a couple of the lines here at the beginning of the column that you, or the article rather, in the Christian post that you sent me. And we'll get some reaction to it. A five-member governing board of the Washington Elementary School District in Arizona voted to ban student teachers uh, in the district due to their commitment to traditional Christian values. Uh, these particular students are from Arizona Christian University. 
And the university president says the school board's recent decision to ban ACU students from serving as student teachers was done for one reason only, our university's commitment to our Christian convictions. That's wrong, it's unlawful, and it will only hurt the district students. Well, he's right about that, especially the unlawful part, because I thought there was something in the First Amendment that actually protected our religious liberty. It provides that we shall, uh, that Congress shall not make a, uh, um, uh, any laws respecting the establishment of religion. It doesn't mean religion cannot be practiced, nor does it mean that religion can be uh, discriminated against. But that's exactly what they're doing here, isn't it? It, it is. And the interesting part about this story is this is one of those deja vu moments for me. It's one of those I told you so moments. It's one of those oh, that'll never happen moments. And the context is this. In 2017, I wrote an article for the Washington Times in the middle of the Me Too movement where Matt Lauer and Harvey Weinstein and a host of others were being outed for their misogyny. And I wrote an article for the Washington Times which basically asked the question, why is this happening in our culture? Is it possible that this bad behavior is coming out of bad teaching, bad ideas, and bad schools. And if you teach young men at your local elementary school, or boys at your elementary school, and young men at your high school, or even in junior high, if you're teaching them more about how to use a condom rather than the Ten Commandments, you might actually be producing this stuff that you're bemoaning right now via Me Too. And that got picked up by Fox News. I went on Tucker Carlson and talked about this article that I wrote that was titled Teach Lechery, and you're going to get lectures. So what does that have to do with this Arizona Christian school? Well, the local teachers union, the Bartlesville Education Association, which is in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, it's underneath the umbrella of the Oklahoma Education Association, the major teachers union, they actually called for a boycott of Oklahoma Wesleyan University teacher education students in the Bartlesville School District because I wrote that article. And I thought, this is insane. That'll really solve the problem, won't it? We've got all of this nonsense going on in our culture, the misogyny, the degradation of women, the endangerment of children, etc. And the way you're going to solve that problem is you're going to stop Christian educators from engaging in the market square of ideas. That'll fix the problem, won't it? Well, this Arizona Christian University situation is the exact same situation. They're merely uh, teaching their kids, their graduates, to honor a biblical worldview. And now the solution to the problem, the solution to all that ails us in our culture, is for the local school district to ban those teacher education students from doing their teacher training in the local public school. It's the exact same story, and it's an upside-down world of this intolerance and this exclusion that's endemic within the woke and the left. The um, issue here appears to be on the uh, uh, the part of this board, this five-member board, uh, is the LGBTQ community, which apparently uh, makes up 60% of said board. Three of the five board members who voted against having these students from a Christian university be student teachers at this school uh, declare themselves to be members of the LGBTQ community. One of them describes uh, herself, I guess, as bilingual, disabled, neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina, uh, which is very, very specific. One of them, in the in the article in the Christian Post, Dr. Piper, uh, it shows what looks to be, you know, very clearly professional headshots. This isn't some, you know, nobody snapped a candid shot of somebody at a Halloween party. This person, they're all s- sitting before the standard, you know, backdrop of a photographer, a professional photography, you know, uh, session. And one of these board members 
is wearing cat ears. Um, she, she's she's wearing cat ears to her professional headshot uh, uh, photography session. Um, like I said, this isn't a candid. This is how she wanted to be seen. These people are prioritizing their own personal biases in favor of LGBTQ over the uh, proposed Christianity brought into the schools, which might be at odds with LGBTQ by these particular students. Yeah, yeah, they are. And that that person, that woman in the in the photograph that you just mentioned, she's the same person who comes out and condemns the local uh, university, Arizona Christian University, for its Christianity. And that we don't want your Christian students teaching in our public schools, but yet she's promoting this speciesism or this anti-speciesism by dressing up with cat ears and suggesting that's what, what she's doing in that photo is she's identifying as not just transgender or LGBTQIA. She's Pandora's box is open and it never stops. Where's it going to stop if you can claim that your subjective identity is something that you're that you're not if you can claim that you're a man when you're actually a biological woman if you can claim that you're a woman when you're actually a male then why can't you claim to be something else like a dog a pig a cat or a cow that's what she's promoting in that particular particular picture it's the the subjective identity claim that is totally totally driven by feelings and there's no objective correction to that claim and far be it from Christianity to enter into the discussion and say, wait a second, you're the Imago Dei. You're made in the image of God. You're not made in the image of a cat. You're not the Imago dog, if you will. You're the Imago Dei. You're not an animal. You're a human being. But that picture betrays the exact opposite in her worldview. It's interesting, uh, Dr. Piper, because I suspect that this same board, um, if presented with an opportunity to bring in student teachers who also wore cat ears and who identified themselves as proud members of the LGBTQ community who wish to impress upon students their pride and their support for such things, they would be welcomed with open arms. But you get students coming from, from a university representing God, that Christian God and that Jesus character. We can't have our students being exposed to that, but we can have them being exposed to human feline uh, transitioners. We can have them exposed to people who actually believe that they are, as you say, different species, different sexes, and so on and so forth. They would be welcomed with, with, with open arms. What on earth are we doing with our children? Well, again, it's the it's the upside-down, backwards nature of DEI, or DIE, as you like to call it, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the CRT, and the whole woke agenda, the lunacy of the alphabet soup of tolerance and wokeism and progressive ideology, the LGBTQIA+. There's a reason for the plus that they're putting on the tail end of their alphabet soup right now. They're actually saying plus because it never ends. We're going to go wherever our feelings take us. And if our feelings take us to identifying as a cat, then so be it. And if somebody's listening to me right now and saying, well, that's a little extreme, Piper, we're not going to go there. Really? Really? I'm going to say it again. I told you so. I told you you would be excluded from the market square of ideas because of all this subjective identity nonsense. And here we are. Women are being excluded from their own bathrooms, their own showers, and their own sports. And Christians are being excluded from the public square simply because you believe in an objective reality that is outside the feelings and the subjective nonsense of LGBTQIA+. That's really the, the, the premise of this entire story. 
is if you believe in any God other than the one you see in the mirror, other than the one you feel exists within yourself, then you are verboten. You're going to be expelled. You're canceled. And we will not tolerate you under our banner of tolerance. Dr. Piper, it's 1020. We'll take our time out of here so we can come back and talk about your column on DEI or DIE, as you said, a little bit more in depth, uh, because there's a, there's a very unique aspect to this week's column that I want to talk about. And, uh, we'll get there right after this short time out on Always Right Radio. Ten twenty-two. Now I got time for uh, what about eight minutes left or so now with Doctor Everett Piper. Doctor Piper, I want to dive right back into your new column in the Washington Times. Last week we talked, and you wrote about DEI or DIE. Uh, and, and in your in your follow-up uh, today, I, I just there was a part of it uh, toward uh, about two thirds of the way through that I just wanted to read and and talk a little bit more about. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are not bad things when properly defined. But putting them first rather than second, making them a higher priority than biblical unity, equality, and an open pursuit of truth only results in totem poles and idols. When that happens, freedom is always sacrificed on the altar of such gods, uh, such false gods. Um, I just thought that was the, the, the most important line of the, of the piece or lines of the piece because the diversity is not a bad thing in and of itself. Equity in and of itself is not a bad thing depending on, again, the context. And inclusion, of course, is always a positive thing. But when you bring them together and you prioritize those above unity, equality, and the other things that you talk about, including the pursuit of truth, then as a group, and as a political movement, um, they become something altogether different. Can you go further on that? Well, yeah, it's it's the reverse of definitions that's endemic in the woke culture and in the progressive mind. Uh, not, tolerance is not a bad thing, but when tolerance becomes your ultimate good, your summum bodum, your first thing, you're reversing the order of first and second things. And as I point out in the article in C.S. Lewis's book, God in the Dock, he tells us that when you put first things first, you get the first, and often you get the second things thrown into boot. But when you reverse the priorities and you get them wrong and you put second things first, you lose everything. You don't get the second, and you're never going to get the first. And that's what's going on in our culture right now. When we put tolerance above truth, then you're going to get intolerance as a result, and that's what you see in culture right now. They won't tolerate these kids from Arizona Christian University under the banner of tolerance. It's because they've got their priorities backwards. And we see that in the Bible. Jesus teaches us that when you seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, these second things, will be added unto you. But if you put the second things first, you're not going to get the kingdom and you're not going to get righteousness. So this is a biblical teaching. C.S. Lewis doubles down on it in his book, God in the Dock. And we need to recognize that the fences of freedom are, are it's the paradox here of liberty and law and fences and freedom. When you construct the fences of a constitutional republic, you get more freedom. But when you tear down those fences and you make your individuality, your subjectivity, your feelings are more important than the facts of freedom, then you're going to lose everything, and you're going to be subject to the rule of the gang or the tyranny of one. That's the irony of what we're doing right now. And even Christ himself tells us, well, actually, the Apostle Paul tells us of Christ, he says this, that... um, If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, it's dead, the new has come. So you die to self in order to rise again as a new creation in Christ. Again, this is the biblical message. This is the gospel. Get your first things first, 
And you might get those second things thrown in in good measure, but if you reverse it and put yourself first rather than your Savior, you're going to lose everything, and you're going to suffer the slavery and the bondage that comes from your own sin as well as the sin of culture and the government that's trying to control you. Terrific explanation. I could go much deeper on that, but in the interest of time, I do want to get our third story in here, Dr. Piper, because this is such a big, you know, oftentimes we have stories to cover that are really just make you scratch your head and make us, uh, you know, fall to our knees in prayer that something can fix what is broken here, but now we have something to celebrate. Uh, Joseph Kennedy is the football coach at Bremerton High School in Washington State outside of Seattle. For those who don't remember, he was fired from his job for refusing to stop praying. He started coaching there back in 2008, and uh, he began praying alone by himself at the 50-yard line after games. Eventually, students and players joined him. They liked what they were do- he was doing, and he never recruited them. He never told them. He never compelled them. He just did it, and some others wanted to join in it. Well, they didn't like that fact. They felt it was coercing people into a religious uh, uh, ceremony. Uh, they fired him. Well, long story short here is he uh, he won in his lawsuit against the school at the Supreme Court. He does have the First Amendment right to pray. And moreover, he has now just been awarded a $1.7 million settlement uh, for being fired over his First Amendment rights, and he has his job back starting next season. Dr. Piper, it's, just, it's nice sometimes to highlight the good news. It is. This is a victory for freedom of speech and freedom of religion. It's a First Amendment victory. And in particular, I'd like to focus on the language of Judge Gorsuch in his majority opinion, uh, the 6-3 vote in favor of your religious freedom and my religious freedom and Joe Kennedy as a coach. The right to simply kneel in silent prayer after the game and give God thanks for both victories and losses. That was the the coach's commitment. That was it. He wasn't coercing anybody else to join him. Some students did, some athletes did, but they weren't told they had to, and he was fired for doing that. Now, what did Gorsuch focus on in the majority vote? He said that the traditions and the counsel of our founding fathers, of the framers of our Constitution, had to be taken into consideration in evaluating this situation. That's a huge statement, because what the justice just said is the tradition, the history, the counsel of the Founding Fathers. What they said in an extra-constitutional way is important to set the context for uh, interpreting the Constitution. And here's what Thomas Jefferson said. Now, people say, well, Jefferson believed in a separation of church and state. He's the one that created the wall of separation. Yeah, he did when he was reassuring the Danbury Baptists that they didn't have to worry about the government intruding into the business of the church. The wall of separation was constructed to protect the church from the government, not the other way around. And Jefferson made that clear. Proof to the point? Here's a quote in another document, another letter, another speech that he gave. He said this, No nation has ever existed or been governed without religion, nor can it be. The Christian religion is the best religion that has been given to man, and I, as chief magistrate, as the president of the United States, I, as chief magistrate of this nation, am bound to give it, what? Christianity sanction, close quote. That tradition, that extra-constitutional language from Jefferson and all of the other founding fathers was what set the context for this decision from the Supreme Court. We should be encouraged by that, because it's very important. 
Yeah, I definitely am, and that's the reason I wanted to bring it up, and I'm so glad you brought more context to it, including the words of uh, Justice Gorsuch in the uh, uh, in the majority there. Dr. Everett Piper, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you so, so much for what you do, and of course for your time, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. Blessings to you. It's 1030. We're going to get a news time out here. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about protecting kids. And we're going to talk a little bit more about unmasking gender ideology. There's going to be an event today. It's entitled Unmasking Gender Ideology. It's not here in Ohio, but it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a, a feature a panel. Let's phrase it that way. It's going to feature a panel that includes our next guest, investigative journalist Brandon Showalter. I'll explain all of that when we talk to him next on AM 1420 The Answer. Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. 1038 now. Thanks so much for being with us on Always Right Radio. We've got a lot of work to do still to this morning. Uh, I was hoping to have a little help from uh, Brandon Showalter. Uh, we're going to continue to try to make that connection, but as of this moment in time, we're not able to do that. But let me tell you what the story is. It's particularly uh Timely, given the fact that, and we talked about this week, uh, Minnesota, uh, USA Today has named a woman of the year in every state. And the woman of the year in the state of Minnesota is a dude by the name of Lee Finke. Uh, this is just an ongoing situation. They did the same thing last year, USA Today did, uh, taking female awards and giving them to males who are playing dress-up, cross-dressers. This is what this is about. Um so today, there is an event. It's actually coming up tonight at 7 o'clock, and it's being promoted by the Christian Post. And it's a, it's a panel forum discussion on this issue and the attempt to pull children into this deviant, bizarre lifestyle. Um, the event is called Unmasking Gender Ide- Ideology, Confronting Transgenderism and Protecting Children. It's presented by the Christian Post. Uh, a little background on it. It's going to be held in Dallas, Texas, 7 o'clock tonight. I'm trying to find out if there is going to be uh, um, a, a video or a stream of this anywhere. I, I have not yet noticed it, but I will let you know if there is, because I think it's important. The Christian Post is honored to present Unmasking Gender Ideology, Protecting Children, Confronting Transgenderism at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, March 23rd. That's this evening, obviously. A panel of experienced professionals who have been fighting gender ideology in the respective fields, will present at the event. All of the panelists contributed to the documentary-style podcast series Generation Indoctrination, Inside the Transgender Battle. Among those, again, was uh, Brandon Showalter. Topics discussed will include the perils of gender ideology, the worldwide, including in Texas, indoctrination and medical abuse of children, and the plight of other vulnerable groups like detransitioners and incarcerated women who are increasingly required to share prison cells with men due to, to uh, gender self-ID laws. The event will be hosted by Brandon Showalter, as mentioned. Other featured contributors, well, you don't know any of the names, so that's irrelevant. What does matter is the conversation. What does matter is the topic uh, at hand, because this is literally an existential threat to the future of this country. 
Because if they attack our children in such ways and pull them in and rope them in and confuse them into this deviant, aberrant lifestyle, um, the culture cannot continue. It is literally just that simple. On the good news front, by the way, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the new governor of the state of Arkansas, signed into law a bill that was passed by the Arkansas legislature that restricts school bathroom use by transgender people. In other words, if you're a male, you use the male facility. If you're a female, you use the female facility, no matter how much makeup you wear. That's what's going Can on. Can you dig yes, it? Fortunately, I've got a host of other terrific uh, 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 developments in this in this regard. Uh, the state of Missouri, I told you yesterday, the attorney general of that state, watching the legislature drag its feet on the issue, sidestepped the legislature. The AG announced an emergency regulation to limit gender transitions for minors in his state citing lack of evidence that the, that procedures such as gender transition surgery or hormone therapy, otherwise known as puberty blockers, are safe and effective. The new rules require minors seeking such transition sign uh, specific informed consent disclosures uh, that they be assessed for any mental illness during an 18-month waiting period, which is terrific and important. Um, and that any adverse effects of gender transition be tracked for a period of no fewer than 15 years. The order is based on the notion that gender transitions are experimental and are therefore covered by existing Missouri law governing unfair, deceptive, and unconscionable business practices, including in administering health care services, end quote. And it's exactly true. It is experimental. And it's the same type of experimentation that Joseph Mengele did to Jewish children um, in uh, during the Holocaust the same type of experimentation to see if bodies could be changed, modified, needles into the eyes of children with dye to try to see if they can change their eye color, the same type of barbaric experimentation on kids that we saw during the Holocaust is happening right now voluntarily as parents serve their kids up to these ghouls who are essentially doing this for profit. And I just saw a note that said Brandon Showalter is with us now, so that's good news. Uh, let's welcome him. Brandon Showalter is a journalist and a podcaster with the Christian Post. He has reported extensively on topics of theological interest in the church, and he is all over this panel that is going to be holding this tremendous presentation tonight in Dallas, Unmasking Gender Ideology, Protecting Children, Confronting Transgenderism. In fact, he's the host of it. Uh, Brandon, thanks for joining us here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? Thank you. So good to be here. Uh, It's good to have you. So I was uh, just kind of Trying to um, inform my listening audience what is going on in Dallas tonight, I gave just the uh, the superficial uh, descriptors that were included on the Christian Post website. Tell us more about what's happening and who is uh, responsible for this event tonight. Well, yes, the Christian Post is proud to present tonight in Dallas, First Baptist Church, uh, confronting transgenderism, unmasking gender ideology, confronting transgenderism, and protecting children. It's been one of my main beats at the Christian Post ever since I started um, in journalism back in 2016 when I realized what was happening. I really felt like a crazy man back then, but I didn't shut up. We didn't shut up uh, at the Christian Post, and we've been persistently covering this issue. And so our goal is to equip parents and anybody else who's interested in these issues, particularly the medical atrocities that you were just listing. And, you know, I've heard from Jewish readers who say similar things as you did <laughs> there on the air, Bob, but 
Um, I yes, I mean we are putting on this panel. We've got experts from a variety of fields who have been fighting this ideology in their spheres, um, and, and the goal is to protect our children um, and incarcerated women. Because now, especially in states like California, they've actually changed the laws where men who merely claim to be women can apply for transfer into the women's correctional facilities through the corrections department. And so women, vulnerable women who are incarcerated, many of whom have histories of abuse and domestic violence, uh, alcohol addiction, they're now being forced to be housed with man, men, many of whom are convicted uh, sex offenders, violent criminals. It's horrific what this ideology does wherever it touches, but especially uh, the medical atrocities on children. That's a huge concern of ours. No question about it. By, by the way, this uh, this panel discussion and presentation, I, I understand it's going to be at 7 o'clock. That would be Dallas time, I'm sure, so 8 o'clock our time. Uh, is this going to be streamed live anywhere? Can people who are not in Dallas be able to see this? Well, we're recording it. We wanted um, we wanted people to come in person, so we're not doing a live stream uh, for for this for this time. But we will be recording it, and it, it so there will be some media there likely who will be covering it in various event um, in various ways. Um, but we're not going to shut up about these issues. What I would point your listeners to would be our podcast around which this is kind of based. Uh, it was a very successful podcast series, investigative documentary style audio-only podcast series called Generation Indoctrination, Inside the Transgender Battle. It can be available at Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, generationindoctrination.com. I've also written an ebook with Dr. Jeff Myers of Summit Ministries, and he is going to be part of tonight's uh, event as well. It's called Exposing the Gender Lie, and that is free and downloadable at christianpost.com slash ebook slash gender hyphen lie. I want to talk, Brandon, um, uh, about a couple of different elements of this. <clears throat> Obviously, one being the children indoctrination, uh, but the other sure. being the um, the uh, the depths to which this this all may sink. Let's start with uh, with with pulling children in. Um, there's a popular social media account which I'm sure you're probably well aware of called Libs of TikTok, which seeks to yeah. expose a lot of uh, this attempt to to pull children in. It features uh, a lot of preschool teachers, elementary school teachers, and others talking about the things that they do to bring their kids into this um, into this deviant lifestyle. Um, this was posted yesterday, and I just wanted to share it with you. Uh, and the account says, Receive this from a follower in Florida. The medical center there asked these questions of her toddler. Toddler. Not seventh grader, eighth grader. Toddler. So two, three, four, whatever. Um, and it's a picture of the forms, uh, you know, which I guess I assume are part of the intake for this particular medical center. And um, in the center of the first page, Brandon, uh, it asks, patients' sex at birth, male or female, preferred pronouns for toddlers, he, him, she, her, right. they, them, other. And then, quote, a person's internal sense of self. And you can check any one of these boxes, male, mm-hmm. female, Female to male transgender, male to female transgender, neither exclusively male nor female, non-binary slash genderqueer, additional gender category, or then there's a blank so you can make something up, or decline to answer. Brandon, this underscores that this is not about just simple tolerance or acceptance of of no. LGBTQ yeah. people. This is an attempt to pull children in from birth, um, and 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 that's the fight that we have before us. For sure, and you guys have a notoriously awful uh, gender clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, where you all are, and 
I think what you just described there, all of these gender options it, on these documents like that, if that doesn't just show just the granular level to which this has infected our society, I mean, it's, it's like an ideological pandemic, I sometimes call it. It's a mind virus because what gender ideology does, it, it, it functions as a boundary breaker, and the sex of the body is always the target. Sex is what is always undermined. I mean, because there is no such thing, materially speaking, ontologically speaking, as a trans person. No one is trans or non-binary or genderqueer or any of this, the rest of these fictitious identities untethered from anything materially real. Everyone is only ever male or female. There are only two gametes, eggs and sperm. There's no third one. There's no third sex. I mean, it's, it's certainly not organic. This is top-down social engineering um, and it is, it's quite cancerous. It erodes and corrupts everything it touches. Um, I think people of goodwill, of all their political stripes and of all faiths, need to stand up and be counted and reject this with as much vigor and enthusiasm as they can possibly muster. This is responsible, I believe, for one of the worst medical scandals of all time. And yes, you mentioned toddlers. I know of clinics where they socially transition, put that in air quotes, children as young as two years old. This is, they, they start them early. Blue's Clues Children's Programming, that's the, the cartoon mm-hmm. from Nickelodeon. Right. They, they had a pride parade where I had a baby beaver. And keep in mind, a baby beaver with mastectomy scars, like transgender surgery scars, a baby beaver. The target demographic for that show is three to five. So they're, they're, they're ideologically grooming children very young and then get them on this medicalization pathway where they start giving them pu- puberty blockers at eight, nine, and ten. 11, 12, and then cross-sex hormones, and then a body-altering surgery in pursuit of a lie. Yeah, in pursuit of a lie and in pursuit of profit on behalf of uh, yeah, you know the medical sure. community. They, they are absolutely uh-huh. loving this. There have been many of them who have been found uh, and, in fact, uh, caught on tape talking about how much money they can make from these sorts of things. So the, yeah. the recruitment of children into this lifestyle is obvious. The question is why. Is it just for the sake of pure evil, or is it for the sake of raising more kids um, with a mindset that they will join a particular political ideology and they want to strengthen their own uh, strengthen their own uh, power base, I guess, if you will, by adding more recruits to the uh, to, to the endeavor? Uh, can I say all of the above? <laughs> I mean, I think there are many many influences that uh, money. Yes, for for sure, because these blockers and hormones and surgeries are all very expensive, and so. Whenever you see the love of money uh, motivating things, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. That You can't underestimate either the ideological power that's driving this, too. Um, and, yes, I, I certainly have a grid, a paradigm for raw evil, um, just targeting children and young people. And keep in mind, a lot of these young people who get swept up into this are often struggling with a variety of mental health conditions, psychological ailments, uh, many on the autism spectrum, so, it, but you know, some other young people getting swept up into this are not, and it just becomes this social craze, a fad. Uh, that that aspect is there too. Um, you, you just, you really, I, I've I've worked in this space long enough to know that you really, <laughs> you start to assume the worst because when you see something as sinister and nefarious as telling children that they can pick whether they want to be male or female, and you're lying to them about something as basic as their bodies. Well, it's a rotten foundation from the start. And so, you know, I, I think there are many factors that work here, but all of it is just extremely evil. Um, and when you hear, and I hear on the front lines, just hear from parents who are absolutely at their 
they're they're just so desperate and in agony. They will do anything, move hell and high, he, move heaven and earth to save their kids from irreversible medical harm. There's no pain in agony like it. They they will do absolutely anything. Uh, <laughs> there's a writer that I really respect who said that a mom would take her chances with COVID and even take an unmasked tour of the Wuhan Institute for Virology if she could guarantee that she'd get her daughter to safety after she comes out as trans. Uh, that's not overstating it. These parents and these families are absolutely desperate to do anything that they can to prevent uh, their children from winding up sterile and with at a greater risk of cancer because that's what these hormones will cause in a child's body, and to name just a few of the disastrous health repercussions. We're talking with Brandon Showalter. He's a journalist and a podcaster with the Christian Post, and he is going to be hosting an event tonight in Dallas uh, called uh, Unmasking Gender Ideology, Protecting Children, Confronting Transgenderism. So the other element to this, Brandon, that I wanted to ask you about is the is the spread into other um, uh, mental, I don't want to call them diseases, but disorders, I guess. And what I mean by that is, <clears throat> let's suppose, for the sake of a discussion, hypothetically, that there are um, uh, people with gender dysphoria, and it's certainly not mm-hmm. unheard of. There are people who have split personality disorder. They think they're two people. They're not, but they think they are, and they don't treat the body by splitting the body into two. They treat the mind. Uh, and there are people who are born a very small, less than 1% of the population, according to estimates, uh, less than 1% of the population are born with something called gender dysphoria, where their mind can't reconcile what their sex is. And again, rather than treating the mind, they choose to try to treat the body. In other words, mutilate the body and destroy it and create it into something else. My point to that is, if we accept that gender dysphoria and that there are boys who think they're girls and girls that think they're boys, just as a hypothetical, then we have to accept, according to the direction that all of this is going, all potential psychological um, uh, transitions, if you will, including things like this. And I'm going to play two clips for you here, and I'll get you to respond to them. Oh, hold on one second here. This, by the way, is a a person who uh, does not want to use uh, she or her, this this female, for her pronouns. She has decided to use this. I'll let her explain. Uh, my neo pronouns to you. So, uh, for the frog frog self pronouns, you would say something like, "Frog went to the store and frog got a new skirt for frog self. Isn't it so cute?" And then for my bug pronouns, you would say something like. Bug's special interest is Monster High. Bug loves talking about it, and it always makes Bug really happy. Her pronouns are frog and bug. And if we have to accept new pronouns to accept people's uh, own personal sense of, of identity, then you have to go ahead and learn all of those and accept those as well. And the next one, well, I'll let her explain her situation to you. My name is Horace, and I'm a red-tailed hawk. In our world, I do have the body of a hawk, but while fronting, I consider myself a Therian, because I am in a human body, but my identity is still a hawk. Not all animal alters will identify this way, and I am, in fact, the only animal alter in our system who does identify this way. I am doing my best to come to terms with living in a human body. Brandon, 20 years ago, uh, we would have treated people like this a little bit differently than we do now. 20 years ago, they would have been taken to therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, and every other thing that they could find to try to help them. And today, we are supposed to affirm them, and we are supposed to say, yes, I accept your identity as a hawk in a human body. That is the the direction that this is headed in that is even more troubling, in my my opinion, than just the boy-girl-girl-boy nonsense that they are trying to push. 
Well, really, there's no limit when you undercut the sexual binary what kind of insanity that that foments. Because when you dissociate from your sex, and keep in mind, your sex is stamped on every single, the nucleus of every single cell in your body. Mm -hmm. So when you split uh, children psychologically as something other than the sex that they are, (laughs) it it opens Pandora's box. And yes, we are seeing all these other, you know, mental ailments come along with this gender uh, confusion and madness that has uh, come about and erupted in our youth. There really is no end in sight. And uh, I, I, it's just, it makes, it just, it makes me shudder to think the kind of, you know, you know, psychiatric problems that are unleashed because we have lied to a generation of young people telling them that their bodies are somehow wrong, that they need to fix it with, you know, hormones that are experimental or surgery even. Uh, the thing to, about gender dysphoria or what used to be called gender identity disorder, it does have an official definition in the DSM-5, which is the psychiatric manual detailing all the diagnostic criteria for these uh, mental health conditions. But yes, uh, it's, it's a mental health condition and you don't, you know, treat the mind by cutting the body or, you know, or giving hormones because gender confusion, however real that psychiatric comorbidity may be, it's not an endocrine condition. You don't introduce foreign synthetic hormones for a mental disorder uh, in where, I mean, when you mess up your hormone levels, you, you give yourself a whole host of problems. Your, your endocrine system is kind of a delicate ecosystem within your body. And though I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I don't know a single mental health ailment where you would purposefully take your sex hormones out of balance. You know, if you go to a, a endocrinologist because you're having a thyroid issue and you're depressed about that, well, the goal there would be to balance your hormones. <laughs> and so now, when you, when you but when you lie to children and you tell them that, well, you can pick to be a boy or a girl or male or female, it's not surprising to me that some of them start identifying as hawks and other animals. I mean, it just, because it dissociates them, it splits them from reality. And that's just uncomfortable, in my opinion. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we also need to point out, too, that that so many, and in fact, the overwhelming majority of people who identify in some way other than what their sex is, and that includes people like this playing these games with animal identities and so on and so forth, they're not suffering from mental conditions. These are people who are part of the social contagion. They're victims of the social contagion. They want popularity. They want likes. They want clicks. They create things in order to make themselves different than other people. Uh, there is a social issue, and then, of course, there is, uh, you know, there are uh, a, a number of them that are just quite simply attention whores. They, they, they want attention for themselves for no other reason than that. They don't have an agenda. They don't have a political position, and they certainly don't have a mental condition. They just want attention. And all of these things are threats to pulling more children into uh, this very bizarre lifestyle and this very bizarre identification realm that we are in right now. So I'm so glad you guys are doing what you're doing in Dallas. I hope this is something that can be explored in other places as well to bring professionals and experts together to truly address this in a non-biased way, but to tell the truth about what's going on uh, biologically and beyond. Brandon Showalter with the Christian Post going to be uh, hosting this event tonight in Dallas. We will look forward. In fact, I would love it if you or somebody on your team could let us know when the recording of tonight's event is ready for consumption by others so that we can all learn a little bit more, and I hope we can make that happen. 
Thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brandon. Brandon Showalter, journalist with uh, Christian Post. We took us all the way up to the newscast, so we're going to come back after that on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Ten minutes after 11 o'clock and hour number three is underway. On this Thursday, the 23rd morning of the third month of the year of our Lord, 2023. A lot of threes and 23s, but that's where we are. If you missed any conversations we have had so far this morning in hour number one, I beg your pardon, at the top of hour number two, we spoke with uh, Dr. Everett Piper. And uh, you should most definitely uh, check that interview out if you missed it. A lot of very important ground covered there as we continue to fight the culture war. Uh, and then also, if you missed what I just did with Brandon Showalter, big event in Dallas, Texas tonight as uh, uh, they take on the issue of uh, transgender ideology and this intentional recruitment of children and what is going to be done about that. I really wish they were streaming that live, but they will record it and it will be available for others to watch uh, later on. So we'll... Uh, We'll check back with that. But Brandon Showalter was a very good interview. You should check that out, too. Anything you miss, any time you miss something, make sure you go to the podcast page at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Usually post about an hour after the show ends, so around 1 o'clock every day, you'll be able to find what you missed. Joining us now, as we begin our third and final hour, uh, is a, uh, well, relatively frequent guest. I think this would be his fourth appearance maybe on the program he's always got something good to say because he's always got something good that he has written for newsweek he is a newsweek opinion editor and also the host of the josh hammer show as you can guess that would be josh hammer joining us now on am 1420 the answer josh good morning good to have you how are you sir Good morning, sir. I'm not sure how many times it's been, but it's always a pleasure. So great to be back with you. Yeah, well, that's why we keep reaching out because it is a pleasure. It's a uh, it's great conversation every time that you're here. You got a lot of very important stuff to cover. There's two articles uh, that you've written in the, uh, this month that I wanted to talk about, um, and we'll talk about the older one first, uh, and that is the Mexican drug cartels. You know, it's funny. I was just doing commentary for a streaming television show that I host. Um, and talking about how, you know, the, the government, the State Department, and even the Texas version of the State Department has told spring breakers, find somewhere else to get drunk and high. Don't come to the, uh, you know, the um, American-Mexican border. You are venturing into cartel territory, maybe on both sides of it, but especially for those young morons who uh, cross over into te- into Mexico to get uh, free pills, not free pills, uh, pills that are prescription free. They go over there to get cheaper drugs, cheaper alcohol, and then they come back over here to party. 
And it's not safe. It is simply not safe to cross over to the Mexican side because we are talking about drug cartels running the show over there much more than the actual Mexican military that should be guarding uh, the border does. Uh, you wrote a very important piece about destroying these cartels. We saw some uh, horrific things as four Americans got kidnapped, two of them murdered, two of them, I believe, tortured. Uh, and then an apology. Oops, our bad. They're not rival cartel members from the cartels themselves. Josh, how bad is it down there? Well, it's really bad. I mean, it's really, really bad. And that was among the other things that kind of compelled me to uh, to write this column. So I live... Now in Florida, but I lived in Texas for four years. I actually was back in Texas for a couple of nights earlier this week for a couple of speaking engagements. And I got dinner in Austin Monday evening with a friend whose name I will leave off air, but he is in a decently high-ranking position in the Texas state government. And we, we actually just had a long conversation about that. He was telling me about his various trips down to the border, what he has seen. The expression that my friend Chip Roy, the congressman from Central Texas, that he often uses is that the cartels have operational control of large swaths. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles of the U.S.-Mexico border. And what that means is that U.S. Border Patrol, especially not the Mexican government, but even U.S. Border Patrol does not have de facto control of what is coming in, what is coming out, who is being smuggled in, what is the identity of these people? Are they potential Middle Eastern terrorists? Well, not potential. We actually know for certain that there have been dozens and dozens of ISIS-style jihadists that get across the border in any given year. But the drug issue in particular is one thing that has just really, really been weighing on my conscience for a while now. So, look, on a personal note... My cousin overdosed and died from fentanyl overdose five and a half years ago or so. And ever since that happened, I've really just kind of taken, I've tried to take on this, this issue head on. We, we had 106 to 107,000 drug overdose deaths in the United States last year. In the early 1990s, after the whole kind of Nancy Reagan just say no campaign, the whole this is your brain on drugs sort of thing. That number was as low as five to six thousand. It is now a hundred six to a hundred seven thousand. We're talking, Bob, about a mid-sized airplane crashing and falling out of the sky each day, filled with disproportionately eighteen to twenty-nine-year-old kids. Wow. I mean, this is the number one most glaring humanitarian issue facing the country, and I feel like no one is even talking about it. But if you actually do something with the cartels. And in the column, slightly provocatively, I say, yes, this actually might entail a limited military incursion to literally just decapitate the head of the snake to kind of snip off the top dogs in Sinaloa and the other Jalisco, the other kind of leading cartels. We have to do something because the situation right now is just totally, totally unsustainable down there. It is. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Chip Roy talking about operational control. The chief of the U.S. Border Patrol Agency, Raul Ortiz, said before Congress uh, last week that we do not have operational control. The cartels have operational control of the border. So you're exactly right. Chip Roy was right. Raul Ortiz was right. The question is, is when somebody going to do something about it? Here, Here's a question, though, that I have not been able to work out in my head, Josh Hammer. Um when we talk about the cartels and the deadly fentanyl, and, and you know people talk about this being an overdose situation, and over and over and over again we hear it wasn't an overdose. It was one pill. They're so lethal. One pill can kill you. So they're really being poisoned more than overdosing, um, if the vernacular matters, and I think it kind of does here. What I've not been able to work out is why do the cartels push 
deadly drugs like that over into the American side that kills you on your first use. I mean, wouldn't the goal be to addict people so that they want to come back for more? Isn't that how they make their money? Why are we, as you say, suffering a plane load of people falling from the sky every single day? Why do they, why do they want something that's so lethal? That doesn't help their profit margin, I wouldn't imagine. You know, it's, it's an interesting question. I've never really thought that through myself, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I think part of it is just kind of a, it's kind of just looking at the supply demand curve from the other side of the equation. So, you know, tragically with, you know, kind of, um, the broader kind of opiate epidemic that America has been facing for the past decade, there was kind of a demand side increase by various kind of people who were falling prey to these drugs for fentanyl and, Fentanyl specifically, um, like a lot of opiates, has its origins uh, in China and the Far East. So uh, in, in a lot of ways, the cartels here are actually serving as effective functional middlemen. They're not necessarily the ones that are kind of growing this in, you know, in, in the mountains of central Mexico or anything like that. So they're really just playing the role of a middleman. And, you know, I think like any middlemen concerned about their profit margins, they're really just trying to kind of play both sides of the supply-demand curve. But, you know, to your point, it, it, it is an interesting question. I mean, this is a very different business model, I guess, than kind of the old cocaine cowboys uh, here in South Florida where I live back in the 1980s or so. We are talking to Josh Hammer. Josh Hammer is the is a Newsweek editor and uh, syndicated columnist. He is also a research fellow with the Edmund Burke Foundation, and he hosts the Josh Hammer Show. So, Josh, let's move on. Uh, most recently, you wrote a piece about uh, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. He is obviously not, not not yet a declared candidate for the presidency, but all signs certainly point that way. And um, you wrote about you know his commentary to Tucker Carlson about the foreign policy uh, mess that we're in right now with respect to supporting Ukraine with uh, you know hundreds of billions of American dollars in their war against Russia. I want you to give everyone a summary of what your thoughts are there, um, and then I'm going to ask you a follow up question that is very very new because of tonight's uh, release or uh, airing first airing of the interview that uh, Ron DeSantis did with Piers Morgan but but give us give us first just a summary of what you wrote about uh, DeSantis's take on uh, the foreign foreign entanglement we have ourselves involved in sure so I mean I basically thought that Governor DeSantis's statement to Tucker Carlson which seemed to trigger a heck of a lot of people uh, somewhat coming from all sides actually but I thought it, I thought his statement basically nailed it I mean you know, he has repeatedly condemned Vladimir Putin. He is not a Putinoid. He is not a Putin fan, let alone, uh, I mean, he, is even, he has even called him a war criminal, actually, in more recent comments since his statement to Tucker Carlson. But I think what he very accurately said is that what is currently happening in Ukraine, this is what I tried to kind of explain at greater length in the column, the current situation there. We're not talking about the survival of the Zelensky regime. So at the beginning of the conflict, when Putin invaded Ukraine, for a few months at the beginning of the conflict, the Zelensky regime absolutely was in jeopardy of potentially being toppled. And I'm no huge fan of Zelensky. I think he's a very corrupt, flawed figure, as is much of the Ukrainian political establishment. But what I said since the beginning of the conflict was that between the unfortunate choice of Zelensky or a Belarusian-style kind of Moscow puppet state, I will definitely take Zelensky. But the key point, which is, I think, what DeSantis was able to intuit with his line describing what's happening there is a so-called, quote-unquote, territorial dispute. What I think people don't realize is that the Russian troops largely withdrew 
from Kiev last May. So there was a, this image that I saw all over the news last May. The Russian tanks basically formed a, a circle 25, 30 kilometers outside Kiev. They were potentially going to go in for the kill. And then, then they withdrew. Now, I'm not saying Kiev is like the Bahamas or Aruba. I mean, it's not like a vacation spot. There's still, there's, it's still a war zone to an extent. But the vast majority of the fighting is now happening in far-flung eastern portions of Ukraine, in the Donbass, in Crimea, which are ethnically split and historically split between Ukrainian and Russian interests. So my only point here, which I think is DeSantis's point as well, is that at this point in the conflict, especially when we're talking about Russia, which is the world's largest nuclear arsenal by sheer number of weapons, the American national interest should be for a secure, durable, and just and equitable peace. Not necessarily for Ukraine's own national interest, which is ensuring every single square inch must be retained. So there's just a fundamental difference between the U.S. and Ukrainian national interest. And DeSantis, I think, is totally correct to oppose kind of the military-industrial complex's call for war for effectively as long as it takes to secure every single square inch of territory. Okay, before I ask part two of my question, then, let's go just a tiny bit deeper uh, on what you just said, uh, that the U.S. interest and the Ukrainian interest are not necessarily mutual. Do you believe or how, uh, how likely do you think it is that if Ukraine loses – and Russia not only wins the war, but literally occupies Ukraine the way they do uh, Crimea, but they occupy the whole of Ukraine. The, 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 I don't want to call them the warmongers, but the, the blob, I think you're calling it the foreign policy blob, um, would say that, well, clearly they're then going to move into Poland or another NATO country. Do you believe that Putin wants to actually go to war with NATO and that he wants to go to war with the United States, essentially, once you do that with your, you know, war with one NATO nation, your war with all of them? Do you think he stops if they, uh, if they take over Ukraine or do you think he goes into other countries? Uh, I absolutely do not think that Putin is looking to pick a fight with NATO. Um, I think that that is a fairly outlandish claim that some are making there. I mean, Putin is a thug. He is a tyrant. He is a bad person. You know, I, I, I could go on and on using condemnatory language to describe him, but he's not an idiot. I mean, I mean, he is not looking to get utterly annihilated in nuclear warfare. So, yeah, I, I, I simply do not buy that. I mean, I mean also just look at so the th- results. Th- this the isn't threat. a Nazi-esque move to take over the whole of Europe. No, very far from it. Look, Putin is a, he is a Soviet nostalgia kind of guy. I mean, he I think he he ideally would love to incorporate as much of historical greater Russia, you might say, that he might be able to do. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, by the way. I'm not I'm not saying it's good to have this madman just kind of marching in across national boundaries. But I but you know, you know, he is definitely not a, a Hitlerian kind of racial supremacist, conquer and exterminate everyone kind of figure. I, I think that's just a fundamental misreading of who he is. Okay. I, I, I kind of agree with that. The reason I asked all that is is going back to <clears throat> Ron DeSantis's position on this, as explained to Tucker Carlson, some now are painting his comments to Piers Morgan as a walkback that he has already been reached by the uh, uh, by the you know the 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 neocon pro pro war in Ukraine you know uh, crowd uh, for saying what he said. I mean, because you're right, he did trigger a lot of people, and now he's talking to Piers Morgan. And I'm just read uh, a couple of quotes that they are saying shows that he is already walking back his statements about uh, the U.S. not being 
uh, not being our best interest to to necessarily have that blank check policy with Ukraine. Uh, DeSantis says, uh, quoting Piers Morgan in his New York Post article, which we will see the official uh, uh, interview tonight, uh, let's see, that Russia was wrong to invade Ukraine and was wrong to invade and take over Crimea in 2014 and won't win the war. He's made a strongest attack yet on Russia's dictator, calling him a loser who, quote, basically, who is basically a gas station with a bunch of nuclear weapons, end quote. His assertion to Tucker that it is not in America's, quote, vital national interest to become further entangled in a territorial dispute between Ukraine and Russia, strongly criticized, as you pointed out by a number of other people, made him say, I think this has been mischaracterized, that this territorial dispute language has been mischaracterized. That was wrong. Russia was wrong. They invaded Crimea. And uh, uh, in 2014, that was wrong. This is a move now to hold Putin accountable for war crimes. He is a war criminal. So the point here being, Josh, he was very, very clear, I thought, in his statements to Tucker Carlson about where he stands on the Ukraine war or the Ukraine defense of the invasion and what our role in that should be. But literally just days after, he offers this kind of walk back to Piers Morgan. Did that? Uh, how did you view that? So I have mixed thoughts on what I just heard from you and what I heard him say to Pierce. So on the one hand, it is simply true that Putin invaded Ukraine and therefore he blames the overwhelming majority of the brunt of the blame for this current warfare. I mean, that's not to say that the West could not have done things differently. The West could have, you know, affirmatively taken off Ukrainian membership from NATO off the table. I mean, there obviously are some counterfactuals that the West could have done differently as well. But the overwhelming majority of the blame in a situation like this, where one country invades the other, is obviously on the invading country. So I, I had no, in, I, I had no issue, I should say, with Governor DeSantis saying that. The the part of that statement that, you know, if I were in the room with him, that I probably would have advised him either not to say or at least to say differently would be kind of the hold him accountable for war crimes kind of rhetoric. That is starting to sound um, a little more neoconservative than I than I would kind of prefer you know, a leading Republican presidential contender in the year 2023 to say. But the other thing that I think is important to bear in mind here is when you start talking about holding accountable international actors, you know, it's one thing to say it. It's a whole other thing to do it. And when you say it and then don't do it, you tend to lose credibility. So holding international actors accountable is one thing that a lot of Republican senators, congressmen, you know, possible presidential officials have talked a lot about when it comes to China and 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 the Wuhan virus. Obviously, when it comes to kind of um, you know the, the lab, the lab escape, there's been a lot of talk about holding China accountable. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley, wait, uh, going way back, I think it was April 2020, filed legislation about holding China accountable, and I, I actually support that legislation. I think that's a good idea, but. You know, there's only so much that you can, only so far you can go about, you know, talking about holding accountable these major countries like China and Russia. And if you don't follow through on it, then I think you tend to lose a little bit of credibility. So I would have advised his statement to peers a little differently in that respect. But when it comes to just emphasizing the nature of how this conflict started and that Russia is the party that bears the overwhelming majority to blame, I don't really fault him necessarily for that. 
Yeah, I concur. I, I think there's a lot of depth uh, and nuance to his response. Uh, and there are those who don't like it. They're black and white. They just say you are, you are either with arming Ukraine and giving them everything they want or you are pro-Putin. Uh, and I don't think that's the case. Uh, to say that I don't want to get ourselves involved in this and actually get involved in fighting a proxy war with the Russians, I don't think that means you're pro-Putin. I mean, it means you're being a little bit more reasonable and a little bit more judicious yep. in your expenditure of American dollars and the potential risk of American lives if things go from a colder war to a, to a hot war between these two countries. So um, terrific analysis, I thought, in both columns. Uh, Josh Hammer, uh, make sure you read his work. He is, of course, a, a News, Newsweek opinion editor. He's also the host of The Josh Hammer Show. Where do we hear The Josh Hammer Show? Uh, well, thanks so much, Bob, for having me on, as always. And, uh, yeah, The Josh Hammer Show is on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. That's what we wanted to find out. Josh Hammer, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Anytime, Bob. Eleven twenty nine. We'll get our newscast and come back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by the Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple dot com. Onward. Eleven thirty eight. Thanks for being with us uh, this morning on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Great conversation with uh, Josh Hammer, a great conversation earlier on with Dr. Everett Piper, and a great conversation with Brandon Showalter as well. Uh, these are issues that are not going away. I want to spend the last few minutes of this morning's program reminding you about a huge event that is happening tonight. Um, the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County uh, has just one member that is in the U.S. State House. His name is Tom Patton. There's one Republican who is in the State House from Cuyahoga County, and it's Tom Patton. And Tom Patton is a Democrat. Sorry. Not sorry. Going to be blunt. You partner with Democrats. You side with Democrats. You are a Democrat. If you identify as a Democrat, then we call you a trans Democrat. I don't care if you're still registered as a Republican. That's how I feel about it. Tom Patton is one of the gang of 22. And he is one of those who cost us an opportunity to advance massive amounts of concern to truly be the red state, excuse me, that the numbers say we are, to advance a truly conservative agenda without any democratic obstruction through the General Assembly. We had that opportunity. And the Gang of 22 blew it. They, they, they completely went back on their oath. They violated their own word. They promised they would be part of a unanimous vote once they decided in caucus in November who was going to be the Speaker of the House, advancing that massive conservative legislative agenda. They all agreed that whoever won the vote would get the unanimous support of all 67 members. You know the story by now. Derek Maron won. And then immediately, Democrats, or excuse me, trans Democrats in that Republican caucus started uh, maneuvering to backstab that particular speaker and pushing Jason Stevens. One of them was Tom Patton, who lied, apparently repeatedly, about his knowledge of or his interest in supporting somebody other than Marin. We covered this in great detail yesterday with Jack Windsor with uh, Shannon Burns, and we found out and we read some of the text messages uh, that were sent between Tom Patton and Shannon Burns about his intentions and about how he was surprised to hear that, what, somebody is actually challenging this? What are you talking about? That's the first I've heard of it. Stevens? Wow, who's pushing that? And he played that dumb game, you know, played dumb until uh, January 3rd when it's time to actually cast the votes. 
And then he voted for Jason Stevens and said, well, Marin just wasn't any good for me. And by Marin wasn't good for me, it meant that Marin wasn't good for my relationship with the unions. He's for right to work, et cetera, et cetera. We all know where it went. The bottom line is tonight is a long-awaited night. Tom Patton is scheduled to appear before the uh, State Central Committee and Executive Committee to defend himself. He skipped a hearing of the, of the uh, Discipline Committee. The Ad Hoc Disciplinary Committee of the RPCC held a meeting, and uh, uh, Tom Patton refused to attend. He could have explained himself, this is why I did what I did, this is why there's nothing wrong with it, this is what the real rule is regarding unanimity, or, or the lack thereof a rule regarding unanimity among the uh, uh, House members after the caucus vote. He could have defended himself to, to the di- disciplinary committee. He chose not to because there is no defense. Now he's going to have to come before because tonight they're going to consider the resolution of the ad hoc disciplinary committee. And I'm looking at it right now. <clears throat> uh, this, the, the, uh, uh, allegations, if you will, and they're not allegations because they're very easily provable when you look at the uh, attached documentation of everything that he had said and done. Uh, and now there is an attempt to censure him tonight, to um, uh, make him ineligible for endorsements and thus funding for future runs, uh, including the expected run for the state Senate next year, and uh, removal from the committee itself. Now, he's got his supporters out there sending letters. I read one of them from uh, uh, an individual in Lake County who has been one of his campaign advisors and, and workers and so forth for a long time, saying that this is ridiculous. How dare you suggest removing the only Republican that is in the state house from the county? He voted for a Republican. What's wrong with that? Well, let's find out what's wrong with that. Let's find out if there is any teeth to the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County. Let's find out if there's any teeth to the disciplinary committee that is recommending the censure and recommending the uh, um, um, his uh, expulsion from the committees and recommending that he get no endorsements and or funding for future campaigns. Let's find out if there's any teeth or if it's all lip service the way it is in so many Republican realms in this state. This could be one of the strongest red states in America. And given the fact that we have given them super majorities in the House and in the Senate, given the fact that we have swept all of the statewide offices with Republicans, the Republican voters in this state deserve to have that conservative agenda passed. And anybody who's getting in the way of it needs to be cast aside. Tom Patton joined 21 other trans Dems and stabbed conservative voters in the back. In my estimation, he doesn't deserve his seat. And he certainly doesn't deserve to be on the committee. He doesn't deserve any support, financial or otherwise, from the RPCC. So let's hope that we do indeed see that censure tonight. And we'll see if Tom Patton has the guts to show up and defend himself this time. So far, he has used surrogates to send out messages of defense for him. Let's see if Tom Patton is willing to go before that committee and actually make a statement for himself. I have a statement that I want to share with you that I received before the show from Emily Moreno, uh, who said, quote, As his constituents, we must live by the votes Representative Patton makes. Now, Representative Patton must live by the vote of our committee. That's Emily Moreno Miller, of course, uh, making that statement. So we'll see what happens tonight, and we'll have a full report on it tomorrow morning right here on Always Right Radio. That's it for today. Thanks to everybody for being a part of it. Be well, be safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.